All right, good morning, you guys. Welcome to Adult Sunday School. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so before we get out of Romans 11, there's an illustration that Paul uses. It's not unique to Paul. But uh, we're going to start, I'm going to try to cover a lot of verses this morning. And then the way we're going to go with it, this is the chronological progression of this illustration that Paul uses. He talks about an olive tree. And this olive tree being the essentially the family of God. And it, it shows that the, the point and the purpose that God has for his people is really that they would bear fruit. That's, that's the point. And so that illustration, I don't want you to think that Paul is disconnected from other things. Paul is very much a continuation of everything that's been said in the Scriptures and explaining Christianity just now in light of Jesus Christ. And since Paul is after the resurrection, things he's saying are after the resurrection. So he is explaining Old Testament scriptures. He's explaining the Bible in light of what the, the history and now oh, with Jesus Christ's ministry in the past. Now he's putting it all together and explaining the relationship of the nation of Israel to God. And this is really what, what this is. But uh, we're going to take from the beginning of the Bible, and I'm just going to go through and I'm going to try not to just like verse by verse do this, but I don't know how else to do some of it, try to give you some explanation on each of these verses. But in, you don't have to turn there yet, but in Romans 11, Paul uses the illustration of the olive tree and talks about branches being cut off, branches being grafted in, this root being Jesus Christ, and everything essentially being built on Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Jesus Christ says. He says, you build the house on the rock, he's the rock, and I liken him to a wise man, things like that. So that said, let's start back in Exodus 27, and uh, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground here today. Exodus 27, this is the il illustration of the olive tree that explains God's relationship to part of the nation of Israel, his relationship to his true people, his relationship through Jesus Christ, and the purpose with which he has for his people, which is to bear fruit. And so Exodus 27, starting in verse 20 is the verse, but uh, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started with this, this illustration that runs clear through the entire Bible. And Paul, like I said, he isn't just getting this thing out of thin air or had some revelation on a mountaintop about it. He, he is putting together scriptures is what he's doing and explaining Christianity. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Um, I pray that you would help us understand what we're reading. There's... Uh, there's just so much of picking verses here and there and making a theology that is not biblical, particularly in our generation. I'm sure it happens every generation, but uh, I pray that we would understand what your words actually are, what you're saying, what you're talking about, and uh, that you would help us understand, and that will bring forth the change that needs to be brought forth in our lives. And I uh, thank you for each soul that's here. I lift up the teachers that are in the back teaching the kids that you'd help them with, with that ministry. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Exodus 27, verse 20. This is in context. Anybody know what's going on in Exodus 27? What are, what are we, what's happening here? What are we doing? They're, they're, right. They're getting blueprints for the furniture and, and the, uh, the tabernacle, right? All the stuff that pertains to the tabernacle. And Moses is getting the, the blueprints for all of this. 
Verse 20, he says, Thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil olive, olive oil, beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. I'm just going to read that verse. Usually we want to take the bigger context, but not today because we've got a lot of verses to go to. The olive oil, the illustration of God's light from the fruit of the olive tree, is an, it's, this is an illustration that's going to run all the way through the Bible. And it, its practical value is this, it, that it provides you know, light in the sanctuary, obviously. That's the practical part of this. But the Lord is specific in these ingredients. He doesn't just say, take some oil or take some diesel or something and whatever. <laughs> he says, take olive oil, pure olive oil, and this is the oil you're going to use to create light in the sanctuary, olive oil. This is the particular specific oil that you're going to use. And olive oil, obviously, it's it's the fruit of uh, the tree, the olive tree. You get the olives and then you crush them and beat out the oil and all that stuff. And the point of this story will be that God's people, the illustration, the foreshadowing of this whole thing, God's people as light, Jesus Christ as the light of the world, the point of, of all of this and the foreshadowing of all of this, that God's people are those who are going to receive the words of God and therefore bear fruit in this world and therefore produce light. And this, this is the olive tree. This is why God says what he says about the olive tree. Use this particular fruit and this particular oil from this fruit and this is the way you're going to create light. All right, so keep that in mind because we're going to go forward. Psalms 52, David, this is about 400 years after Moses got these blueprints. And there's stuff in between this, but we don't have time to deal with every single instance this shows up. Psalm 52, God's people are the light of the world. They're supposed to be the light of the world. They are the light of the world. And he ties this to this olive oil. Psalm 52, verse, verse 8. Let me get to Psalms here. David says this. This is, like I said, about 400 years after the, Moses gets instructions for the tabernacle. David says this. And notice... How he says this, this is important. David says in verse 7, a little bit of context, Lo, this man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. All right, that's one man that did that. And there's a lot of, lot of discussion that Jesus makes about trusting in riches versus trusting God. But David says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. What makes, it, what makes him like this olive tree? I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. What makes him like this is, is well, because I kept the law. No. Because I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And he says, I am like this green olive tree. All right. Hopefully you're starting to see a pattern here. And there's, again, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of other places we could go to fill in these years in between, but I'm just going to, we already got so much to look at. Solomon would say this, and you don't have to look at this one. I'll just quote it to you. Solomon would say in Proverbs 11 verse 30, he would say, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of righteousness being tied to, to trees, uh, um, even wickedness tied to trees, but uh, the, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Hosea, this is the next place we'll look. Look in Hosea chapter 14. And we're moving through this. Hosea. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, 
or Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Last chapter in Hosea. Y'all remember what Hosea is, not claim to fame, but what his peculiar ministry was, what he had to do that was that was assigned to the nation. Yeah. Yeah, Mary Mary yeah. Mary a harlot and yep. It was it's rough. Hosea fourteen, the very last chapter of this book, keeping with this olive tree theme. In verses, well, let's read verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. So just like Isaiah said, your iniquity is separated between you and your God. Take with you words. This is the thing that's going to connect them to God, the words of God. Take with you words. And turn to the Lord. That's the instruction. Turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. That's a weird way of saying the sacrifice of praise. We'll praise you. Asher shall not help us. That's Assyria. Shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. So we can't be idolaters and God's people at the same time. We can't, we can't continue to do this as this warning clearly says, get away from what you're doing. Get away from these idols. Get away from these things that are replacing God. You can't continue to be idolaters and pretend to be God's people. You're not God's people if you're an idolater. Verse 3, ye are, uh, ye are our gods, for in thee the followers find mercy. They don't find mercy in these idols. You can't find mercy in the pieces of wood and stone and plastic and things like that. They don't. There's no mercy in that. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. This is God talking, for mine anger is turned away from him. What would make his anger be turned away? Well, if the sin is purged, if the idolatry is gone. He says, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as a lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree. And his smell is Lebanon. Now, who's, who, do, who does this going to pertain to? Let's read. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. That's the same thing Boaz says to, to Ruth. You've come to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. So they that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall re revive as the corn and grow as the vine. Well, what if they don't get away from their idols? Well, they don't return. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? All right, that's, that's the new confession now. What, what am I, I'm, I, can't, I, can't, I can't trust in these idols anymore. What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree from me is thy fruit found. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. This is, this is a prophet to the nation of Israel. And he's separating out the nation and saying, the ones that are going to trust in, in, in God and get, get rid of these idols... Remember, the north, the situation with the north was they had created an entire religion. Jeroboam had created this entire religion to substitute for really the religion of Moses, the, 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 the religion in Jerusalem, and essentially what God had set up. So they had set up this entire system. Jeroboam had set up two cows, one in, uh, one in Bethel, one in Dan, and those that had become religious centers of worship, 
And the northern tribes never, once Jeroboam did that, the north never returned to Jerusalem. They essentially lived out their days in idolatry and uh, never returned to the God of Israel uh, for the most part. And then you have the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes being essentially dispersed a couple hundred years, 150 years before the southern tribes. Uh, Assyria goes in there and just wipes them all out, disperses them, and this is a little bit before that. This is the warning that this is going to happen. So Hosea, the, the prophets would p- pick up this theme. This is one of the prophets that picks up the theme of the olive tree, continues to apply it to these faithful people. Uh, Hosea would tell these northern tribes to turn to the Lord in verse 2, take with you words, turn to the Lord. So it's not just God's going to do this. It's You have this responsibility to quit doing what you're doing. Turn to the Lord. Take with you words. Turn to the Lord. Quit doing. Quit, quit, quit going to Bethel. Quit going to these places. Amos would say some of the same things here. So the people can't be idolaters and God's people at the same time. Verses 1 and 9 kind of explain that iniquity has separated many in Israel from their father. God is their father, their heavenly father, and iniquity has separated between them. And so Hosea explains the ones who will be like God's olive tree producing fruit and light to the world are those who have come to trust in the wings of the Almighty. They are the ones who hide themselves under His shadow in verses like 6 and 7 there. And these are the ones whose iniquity is going to be cleared and are going to be gathered under one head who is Jesus Christ, which there's going to be a lot of talk about that after Jesus Christ shows up. The next place, Hosea, and I'm taking these in chronological order. Hosea is in regards to David a couple hundred, maybe, I don't know, 250 years after David. Isaiah comes a little bit after Hosea. So look in Isaiah chapter 11. He continues this, this olive tree thing. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. But he starts to, he starts to explain that the olive tree or this tree has a root system and the root system is a person. It's not a religion, it's a person. I mean, not to, Bad religion too much, I think we use that term and kind of loosely, but uh, uh, it's a person. The root is a person. And so Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek. Who Who is the root? It's... it's Great Sunday school answer. There you go. It's Jesus Christ. He is the root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Rest would be the purging of sins, the the doing away of iniquity. Verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. So Jeremiah explains, or Isaiah explains the root is the Messiah. There's another place, but we'll stick with this one for now. The gathering of all the people to this person who we know is Jesus Christ. They didn't know his name, but they knew he understood the work of the Messiah as being the gathering point of all the people. Uh, you begin to start seeing in Isaiah the grafting in of other nations because he said to this root, these other nations are going to come. They're all going to gather and be attached to this root. And so you begin to see the grafting in of other nations, the gathering of the nation under one head, and it, it, it's to this man, to this person. Uh, one more time before we leave Isaiah, look in Isaiah 53. This is just incredible, this whole chapter. But the way Jesus Christ is described as this, this vine and this plant that starts to grow 
and then the people being attached to this, this root system. Isaiah 53, verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. I mean, you, you don't think that the prophets were, were looking forward to a Messiah? Yeah, they're, they're looking for a Messiah. Isaiah clearly understands the work of the Messiah here. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He's despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This is, this is the, the perfect description of Jesus Christ. All of this, and he starts it out where he, he's going to grow up before him as a root out of a dry ground, and it's just it's, the whole thing describes his work. Verse 5, he's wounded for our transgressions, he's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he would, he, he would bear the sins of the nation. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, which is actually what one of the high priests says. And he, he didn't understand what he, he didn't understand fully that he was actually explaining the work of the Messiah when he said it's, 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 uh, it's good that one would die for the nation. I forget which, who it was that said that. Um, Caiaphas, maybe? Anyway, when he said that, he was being practical, but he was actually explaining the work of Jesus Christ. Verse, uh, verse 8 here, same chapter. He's taken from prison, from judgment, who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's, that's the self-sacrifice. That's greater love of no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And this is, this is acceptable to the Father, especially from a holy man, someone who's never, never committed sin before. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's the statement, that's the thing. The Father would be satisfied. And this, this is what makes Jesus Christ the mediator, that the Father is now satisfied with this death. Not that he, not that he requires blood or he's bloodthirsty, but when sin entered the world, the wages of sin is death, and when death enters the world because of sin, all these deaths occur and, and they're unsatisfactory to God until Jesus Christ dies and the Father is satisfied. Now, now the curse of, of sin and death has now a, a, um, a reconciliation now. Now there's, now there's something higher than death. There's some, there's a, a, a victor over death. Uh, verse 11, he shall see over the travail of his soul shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall, many, shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death. That's still Jesus Christ. This is all an explanation of Jesus Christ. And it starts out with, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. That root, the root of Jesse, uh, that, that title will be, uh, it's going to show up again in the New Testament. But the root is Jesus Christ. And when Paul explains all this, you're going to see he's not explaining this stuff because he got some, some, some something zapped to him out of a mountaintop. He is explaining what the prophet said just in light of Jesus Christ. Now look in Jeremiah. Jeremiah continues this olive tree, this plant, this thing that's growing, that, that is the basis and it, it will become, this is be God's people. Jeremiah 11 verse 14. This is interesting. You know, Jeremiah is about 400 years after David. 
And that's significant because in David's day, I know there's these, there's, we, we say this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, things like that. Well, 400 years after that, Jeremiah says this, verse 14. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Wow. What hath my beloved to do in my house, seeing she hath wrought lewdness with many, just like prostitute herself? And the holy flesh is passed from thee. When thou doest evil, then thou rejoicest. So you're happy. You're, you're enjoying the sin. Verse 16, the Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it. Wow. And the branches of it are broken. For the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee. For the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense unto Baal. What's interesting about Jeremiah is he prophesies about the nation and the destruction by Babylon of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah sees the king of Jerusalem deposed he sees one or two of them, at least. They're, they're killed by the enemies. And from that time, there is not going to be, there is not a king that sits in, that is an Israelite on the throne in Jerusalem after Jeremiah. And then up pops Matthew, who says, these people from the east started showing up asking this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? So the next king that shows up after Jeremiah, the next king of Israel, is Jesus Christ. Jeremiah watches the kings and the nation be dispersed and destroyed. And even when there is a regathering under Persia and a rebuilding of, of uh, the walls and things like that, there's still not a king, not an Israelite king. They're just they're 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 occupied by by other nations, and so Jeremiah likens. He's very clear in dealing with the negative aspects of this illustration, that if the branches will not produce fruit, they will be cut off. And you'll hear a lot of Paul in in Jeremiah, and Jesus uses this illustration as well. All right, so this is this is Jeremiah. I told you. A lot of the prophets, they pick up on this illustration. Then Jesus Christ himself. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. This is Old Testament, the olive tree, the olive light, the oil, uh, olive oil for, for light. David says, I'm an olive tree because I trust in the mercy of God. Solomon would say the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Hosea would liken the, the, the faithful to... Uh, this olive tree that spreads out. Isaiah, the root, talks about the root being the Messiah. Jeremiah says, I have named you. I've named you the olive tree, and now, now I'm, I'm burning this thing down. I'm cutting off branches, and I'm burning this thing down. So here's what Jesus Christ says. Now Jesus Christ shows up. Matthew 21. Verse 33, Jesus says this in a parable. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. That's, that's taken directly from Isaiah 5. And when the time of the fruit drew near, 
he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. I know we've probably gone over this a few times. So who's the, who, are, who are the husbandmen in this parable? Israel. Yeah, the, the, it's, the, it's the whole religious system, the Pharisees. It's, the, it's just natural-born Israelites, particularly ones who are probably in charge of their religion. The husbandman took his servants and beat one, verse 35, and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent out other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Who is the servants that are being sent? The prophets. Yeah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, the prophets, Elijah. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. Who's, who's the son? Jesus Christ. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do with those husbandmen? I mean, you get the point. It's it's a very clear point in this. They say unto him, they understand, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard under where? Unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. And, and who's the stone? That's Jesus Christ. Stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's mar- is it, it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. Well, congratulations. That's exactly who's being spoken to. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Now, I'm going to make a little explanation here. Because there is some, some thought about when Jesus says this, I'm going to take the kingdom of God from you, and I'm going to give it to another group of people. There is, there is some thought that, oh, well, somebody's replaced Israel, the, the national, you know, biological Israel. This isn't replacement. What you're, what you're finding out is the principles that have always been at work from the time of Abel about trusting God. This was always God's people. And God gave and created a nation, Israel. He created this nation and gave them his words. Like what we have, is this is a Hebrew book. It came from Israelites. And he gave the nation his words. But the principles and operation about who are truly the family of God we're always about who trusts God and who trusts particularly now the God of Israel. That's, this, is what, this is what happens with, uh, um, and now it's going to become very clear that the nation that God created is not, is not sufficient to carry, at least in, in, in whole, the, the blessings that they were, were given. So the Lord says, I'm going to take from you the kingdom of God and I'm going to give it to people. Who will bear the fruit of this? Let's keep going. John, look in John. Jesus is going to say something else about this. John chapter 8. 
think we have such a misunderstanding of God's relationship to the nation of Israel. What, it, what the point of it is, what, what is he doing with the nation? What, what, what did he do with it? What, what, what was he doing? What was he tr- trying to accomplish? Ultimately, he's trying to bring about the seed, which he does, which Paul says. John chapter 8, verse 39. We're following along this olive tree illustration here. Jesus says in this this conversation, actually the Pharisees are going to speak in 39. They answered and said unto him, what did they say? Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So you keep claiming Abraham, and again, yeah, you're, you're, DNA is connected to Abraham, but you're not, that doesn't make you connected to God. God's work is in Jesus Christ, and if you reject Jesus Christ, you're just rejecting the work of God. You're, you're not related to God in any way. Verse 40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what you think. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. Right, because all of, all of the Father's approval is in Jesus Christ, every bit of it. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Here's why, because you cannot hear my word. And here doesn't mean I hear the, the vocal vibrations of sound coming out of your mouth. Here means you're not, you're not obeying. You're not not participating with what I'm saying. Here's what you are doing, though, verse 44. You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So what does Jesus, Jesus say to these Israelites? He says... You are of your father, the devil. God isn't your father. The devil is your father because you act like him and you think like him and you believe like him. Which of you convinced, verse 46, which of you convinces me of sin if I say the truth? Why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not because, why? Because you're not of God. Yeah, your, your DNA is related to Abraham, but you're not of God. Here it is again. Same, same book. John 15. Verse 1. And the, perp, the point of, of a lot of this is to, it's going to highlight the work of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ is the most important person and work in in the history of humanity. People may not understand that, but this is in in relation to God the Father, this this is this is true. John 15, here we are, more olive tree explanations. I am the true vine. Who's the true vine? That's Jesus Christ. And my father is the husbandman. That sounds like a parable you just talked about. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. He is the single most important thing that's ever happened in, in human history. 
Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That's just the statement. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. Well, that sounds like what Jeremiah said. That's what Jeremiah told the nation. I've likened you to this green olive tree, and now I'm cutting off branches and burning them. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into a fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. This is the same illustration that's been going on from the prophets, from what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, it's the same illustration. Now, now we're going to go after the resurrection. Paul's going to pick this up. And he's, he's, this isn't a, like I said, this isn't a Paul going off to the mountains and being zapped with information. He's going to explain everything that you just read. He's putting it all together. It's just, he's putting it all together after the resurrection now. So look in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 15. So Paul explains the mystery is that God's true people have always been connected to God through his words, through their faith in his words, and trust in the God of Israel. This is how they've always been connected. By faith, Abel did this. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By, it's, it's, this is how you've always been connected. Romans 11, verse 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world... What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Jesus Christ, the root, the branches connected to the root, the ones that are fruitful, they're connected to the root. What happens when a branch isn't, isn't fruitful? It's not connected to the root. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, that's just Gentiles, were grafted in among them, which Isaiah talked about, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Yeah, everything's built on Jesus Christ. Everything. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, Why? What, what, what are we talking about? Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. So be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, sounds like Jeremiah, take heed lest he also spare not thee. If you're, if you're not going to receive Jesus Christ, if you're going to uh, uh, do what these the nation did that had all these benefits and still rejected Jesus Christ, that you don't really have a chance. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. Again, sounds like Jeremiah. But Jeremiah said, I've likened you to this olive tree, and now I'm cutting branches off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And now Paul's talking about future Jews. From, from his perspective, if any Gentiles or Jews come to Christ, they're all going to be put, in, they're all put into the tree. It doesn't really matter which, which, what, what ethnicity you have or race you have. It doesn't matter. Christ is the central figure. Verse 24, for if thou wert cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, 
and were graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be graft into their own olive tree? Yeah. So if Paul g- travels to these synagogues and starts seeing Jewish people trust Jesus Christ, yeah, they're going to be put in just like everybody else. They're all going to be put in, which is what he does in Acts. He starts going to these synagogues and, and preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogues, and most of the time he gets run out after a few weeks or months, but some believe. Verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, which seems like a lot of folks don't understand this illustration and this, this process, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So all Israel shall be saved. It is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them which I shall take away their sins. Which we talked about before, the taking away of sins, that's the cross. That's the only time that happens. It's on the cross when the Father is satisfied. Paul says it one more time. So the point is, Paul explains the mystery is that God's true people, what, what, what constitutes the breaking off of some and the grafting in of others? It's, it's the same thing that's, that's gone on, on all through history, and Hebrews 11 explains God's people have always been connected to God through His words, through their faith in His words, and eventually the trust in the God of Israel, like Ruth, like Rahab. That's why these folks are included. Romans 15, verses 11 and 12, Paul says one more time, he's going to bring back Isaiah to explain this. We're, get, we're getting there. Romans 15, 11, and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. That's what Isaiah said. He's he's the central figure. He's the root, and everyone would be gathered into this head. Everybody. There aren't going to be separate groups of people that are not, not gathered to Jesus Christ. So Paul says that. He explains it so, so thoroughly explained in Romans. Galatians, he's still trying to fight this stuff. I'm going to read these pretty quick to you then. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. I'll read this to you. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. This is how you're related to God. Galatians 3.26. And that's not just a certain age, a certain time. That's everybody. This is how you're related to God. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's how you're connected to God. In Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul explains the grafting it and the unity is Jesus Christ. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what's going to be produced in people in Galatians 5 and 22, verses 25. And that's explained because this is the image of Jesus Christ. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is the example. This is the Spirit. This is the the form that you're, you're, you're going to be uh, uh, modeled after is Jesus Christ. And so the spiritual, this is the DNA, the spiritual DNA that determines what God's people will be. Um, wow, there's a couple more real quick. Hebrews chapter 6, talking to Hebrews post-resurrection, says this, verse 1, real quick. I'm going to read through verse 8. The, the instruction, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. All right, we know who Jesus Christ is, or they're supposed to know who Jesus Christ is. They're supposed to know He's the Messiah. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You keep talking about these things. You've got to repent of your sin and stuff like that, and faith toward God. It's like, let's, let's move on past that. Of the doctrines of baptisms and the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This will we do if God permit. 
For it's impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift and have made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That's the Israel, the nation. Have tasted the good word and the powers of the world to come, the nation of Israel. If they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. There's no other way to do this. Jesus Christ is it. For the earth did which drinketh, now here's the illustration, the earth which drinketh in the rain cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. So the husbandman, the guy that, that planted this thing, he's, he's expecting fruit from it. If he doesn't get fruit from it, what does he do? He gets rid of the stuff that's not bearing fruit. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing those whose end is to be burned. That's what Jesus said in John. It's what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 11. Same things, same things. So James, I won't read this one, but James, he's pretty bold in how he makes a direct connection and a distinction, really, between those who are familiar with God's words versus those who practice God's words. And he says, if you're, if you're, just, if you're a hearer, that's not, that's not what God's after, and that, that doesn't make you anything other than you've heard the words. Be a doer. Quit deceiving yourself. James is pretty bold in how, how he really goes after that. And then John says it one more time. John's the one, remember, that recorded Jesus talking about the Pharisees as children of the devil. So this is what he says real quick. In Revelation chapter 2, actually Jesus says it, but John records it. To the church at Smyrna, he says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Which is, that's John 8. That's what Jesus said to him. You're of your father, the devil. So that they keep saying, we're, yeah, we're God's people, we're God's people, we're God's people. And Jesus is saying, you're not God's people. This, this is the people that are God's people trust the God of Israel. They believe the words of the God of Israel. You're not, you're not God's children because you were born a certain way. And so this, this olive tree illustration, it, it runs all the way through. And when Paul explains it in Romans 11, he, he is not, when he says, I, I, I want you to understand this mystery, it's not like he just got shown this mystery from out of nowhere. It's, it's an explanation of scriptures is what it is. It's just post-resurrection. It's after Jesus Christ, and he puts the whole thing together, and he explains it. And so this is a, one of these things and themes that runs all the way through the Bible, this olive tree illustration. So a lot of scripture. We started in Exodus. We end in Revelation. Let's wrap it up. We'll go next door. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these words. I pray it's been helpful. And uh, thank you for each soul that's here this morning. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.